Well, it's awesome uh, to gather together, especially I think this time of year. I don't know where you are in your Christmas journey, but uh, maybe as we make our way there just a few days away, uh, singing songs like we've been singing just kind of stirs your heart in a way to recognize that God is with us and, and he's with you in your scenarios and your situations and each one of us in this room is at a different place and so uh, my prayer for you and our prayer for you is that you would sense that in maybe a refreshing way uh, this season that God is with you in your scenario and your circumstance and you're not navigating anything alone and so we are thrilled to have you here. Uh, if you have your Bibles you can go uh, with me to Luke chapter 1 kind of toward the end. We'll get there in a few minutes or you can open up on your app the sermon notes and you can follow along with that. But uh, just kind of highlight a couple quick things as we get going. Next week obviously Christmas Eve at 3 p.m. not 5 p.m. like normal so just invite some friends to come with you. It's a great opportunity to do so and then also uh, just reminding you as we look toward year-end giving we did a series a couple of weeks ago on compounding joy and looking what internal investments make and and what does it look like to, to kind of give to God's things? And so if you missed that, we just invite you to go back to the app or to Vimeo and watch that with us and just kind of throw a goal out there that as a church, you know, year-end stuff's really important and vital to kind of get started in the 2018. And uh, we're kind of looking at just trying to catch up a little bit, just being honest and transparent and kind of letting you know that. So last Christmas, we kind of brought in about 50000 in the month of December, which was really great. And we decided this year we'd sort of throw it out uh, as a goal of like 75,000. We'd love to see because it would help us start 2018 really strong. Uh, and also some of the things that we'd like to do to reach young families, kind of putting some more lighting, more safety things out with our playground. We actually have a playground now. We've never had one. It's pretty awesome. Uh, if you big kids have not been out there, you're welcome to go out afterwards and play. Uh, and so I'm talking to you 40-year-olds. So uh, we got some other equipment and stuff we'd love to do in there. So just kind of keeping you up to speed of where we'd like to go early 2018 is make some improvements there and stuff. So uh, you could be a part of that journey with us and helping investing into that. So all right, Christmas. How many of you are excited? Wow. Christmas. How many of you are excited? Okay. We're getting there. Okay, we have to beef ourselves up a little bit. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, We're excited for it. And last week, we started this Christmas series looking at this idea of how to grow wonder. And we looked at this truth that you can grow the wonder of God in your life, even if not everything is wonderful in your life. And that God's wonder is not tied to our circumstances. And that's really what Christmas is. Christmas is this call to grow wonder. The wonder of who God is and everything he's done for us and what he's done on our behalf as Emmanuel and the incarnation and every important part about that. We can do some, take some initiative. In fact, we kind of threw out this challenge last week that, you know, when Jesus was born, not everything was merry and bright. And in fact, it was really challenging. Christmas is not a gift because it's trouble-free, but because God's introducing a new reality that we get to live in and we get to experience together. A new hope breaks into the darkness back then and into the darkness that you and I face and the challenges that come our way. We kind of had this takeaway last week of, hey, let's make a point to be in, show intentionally and creatively how to make the celebration of Christmas this year greater than the obligations of Christmas. And so many times the obligations of Christmas, some of you are sitting here and you're like, oh, seven days, 
I haven't shopped for so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And like all the obligations start rattling around in your mind. I've got to prepare. Like I need to clean my house. You know, it's just all that kind of stuff. And we can get drowned out. The wonder of Christmas can get drowned out by the obligations of Christmas. And so we challenged one another last week to say, hey, what would it look like? for us to take it seriously and try to say, how do we build and, and focus on the celebration of Christmas and all that it is and not get sideswiped by all the obligations of Christmas? And so that's a way that can grow our wonder uh, of who God is. And tonight, I want to take us on a little bit of journey conversation together of what does it mean to grow our compassion at Christmas? What does it mean to grow kind of the capacity of our compassion at Christmas? Because I think Christmas has this challenge, has this call for us to grow our capacity of compassion. And this expression of compassion that is the ultimate expression we see in the, in the Christmas story of God giving his own self, giving his son as an act of compassion for us. That we don't have to f- kind of fight our way to him. He came and fought his way to us. And that in an act of great compassion, he had that. Now, we live in a cultural context of great competition. How many of you are very competitive people? Yes. My mother-in-law did not raise her hand. And uh, competitive person, like in games. How many of you do not like to lose in any kind of board game or card game or anything like that? Unless you're playing like the youngest kid, right? Then you're like, oh, I'll let them win once. Uh, So this is idea of competitive. How many of you have played uh, sports growing up? Competitive, right? How many of you are maybe in sales and you have competitive things that you have to meet as a part of your job or you have some standards that you have to meet in your job and there's this competition level, even if it's an undercurrent of competition. That's what our culture knows. And into a culture of competition, compassion seems to lack something, right? It doesn't seem to jive well in a culture of severe competition and how we're to be competitive. And it seems to kind of lose popularity, but compassion is an incredibly powerful force. And it's what we see on display in the Christmas story, and it's what I think Christmas calls us to. Ultimately, Christmas is calling us into the upside-down, inside-out, backwards ways of God that we see on display in the scriptures all the time. Why? Because God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. And so all through the scriptures, and especially in the Christmas story, there's this call to these backwards, upside-down kind of ways of God. See, we looked at the context of Herod, that when Jesus entered the story, entered history, not everything was merry and bright because Herod was just downright cruel and had incredible power and and stretch and reach. We looked at that last week, and just how the Roman and Greek cultures worked was that they had these, obviously, false gods, these false gods that were kind of the deities of the day that they worshipped, and then you had the kings, and the kings, they had ultimate power, and then you had the the kind of the ruling priests and and magistrates of, of the day, then you had kind of the working upper class that maybe were merchants and salespeople, and then you had the slaves, and you had the people who were just kind of barely making it, the peasants, and there were this hierarchy. In fact, the hierarchy was the law of the land, and that's all anyone ever knew, and wherever you were born, that's what you were stuck with more than like, that you weren't going to change that, and so there was this giant dignity gap between each one of these classes based on where the hierarchy goes, and yet into that scenario, God inserts himself, not with more competitive power, but with incredible compassion. 
coming as a baby in a manger with no spotlights, no giant backdrops, no bands or parades or fanfare of any kind. Compassion inserts itself into that dignity gap. Just think about the reality of that dignity gaps. Can I just quote you Aristotle? You've heard of him. Aristotle quoting kind of from the 300 BC, okay? Here's what he says. For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. For the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection and others for rule. That's how things worked in the cultural context of the day. Now you fast forward to some other words that you've heard penned by Thomas Jefferson. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, all men, all women, are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What happened between Aristotle and the penning of those words? I would argue Christmas happened. Jesus came. And there was something about the way Jesus lived, not just as a baby in the manger, but what he taught and how he lived and what he modeled that changed everything and impacted history forever, whether you know it or recognize it or not. In fact, there's some incredible things that you think about Jesus' impact on history and how it turned things upside down. Maybe not initially straight out of the gate, but over time, we see the impact of Jesus in his life. In fact, uh, we begin to read about this in Luke chapter 1. So if you're there, Luke chapter 1 toward the end, this is Mary's song. So uh, Mary gets word from the angel that she's going to uh, give birth to, to Jesus and, and she's to call him Jesus Emmanuel. He, he will be the one who saves the people from their sins. And, and she's given this word, right? And then what does Mary do? Mary goes to Nashville, and she writes a song. And so you can read it there in Luke chapter 1. And for some of you who are asking, did she know? Yes, Mary did know. Okay. I'll just leave that right there. Okay. So in Luke chapter 1... This is what we begin to read toward the end of chapter one. This is just Mary's words here, this song that she pens. My soul praises the greatness of our Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor upon the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call her blessed. She goes on, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of their thoughts and their hearts, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants. She's writing this song, this beginning of how things are going to change. Why? Because in the cultural context of everything they know of the day, competition rules. And there are giant dignity gaps. And into that scenario, compassion, Christ, is inserted. And things are going to change. And things are going to get toppled, toppled down. And, and things are going to get turned over. And she begins to write about what God is going to do, these upside-down ways of God. Our world continually asks, who's in? Who's out? Who matters and who doesn't? 
Who's the winners? Who's the losers? These are the uh, seeking of our day. These are the things our world focuses on and cares about. But Jesus begins to teach even in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not how, th- how the world was seen at the day. And he begins challenging this. The, the law of inversion that we see throughout the scriptures that the humble are lifted up, the proud are brought down. It is better to give than to receive. Just these opposite ways. Why? Because God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. And his ways are not like our ways. They are different. They are challenging. The scripture speaks over and over and over about the upside down ways of God. Uh, John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, uh, mentored by Dallas Willard, uh, one of my favorite theologians, writes these words in in a book he calls Living in Christ's Presence. Just want you to listen to this. Once there was a man, and he taught the idea of no divisions, races, nations, people, or tribes. He said, this is the core of reality, and I am praying that people will come in. He had no money, he had no connections, he had no power, no office, nothing. All he had were these words. He said, now I have prayed for this, and it started to happening. People started to come in. People who had a lot of money get down on their knees and wash the feet of slaves. Nobody ever did that. Jews and Gentiles who once hated each other were like brothers and sisters. Thomas Cahill says this was the first expression of true equality in human history. It actually happened, and it happens still. It's not just that this, um, there was never a community like this before Jesus. There wasn't even the idea of a community like this before Jesus. Everything changed. Why? Because Christmas calls us to remember the great compassion that God had and he inserted into history that changed all of your history and all of my history. It can change our stories because compassion is the call of Christmas to grow that. I recommend a a book John Orberg wrote called Who Is This Man? Looking at Jesus and the influence that he had throughout history just even from a historical perspective, not even a religious perspective. But you begin to think about this. Children are thought of differently because of Jesus. Because there was a man who said, let the little children come to me. And history began to change. You realize in the ancient world, children weren't named until about the eighth day. Why? Because they didn't bring anything or any production to, the, to, the, to bear on life. And if there was any kind of informality or any kind of disease, they may just be cast away and set aside. People didn't treat them very well until this man, Jesus, says, let the little children come to me. And, and suddenly society, these group of followers of this man begin to change things, begin to interact differently. Historians point back to this. This custom changed because a group of people who remembered, he said this, and so we're gonna value children. Jesus never married, but his treatment of women changed everything. It impacted history. And women by the droves joined this community because they mattered. Jesus never wrote a book, 
Yet his call and his teachings are preserved, even through the dark ages, when a lot of things were going out and people were trying to destroy stuff. They're preserved, and all of a sudden his words and, and the pursuit of honoring those and, and saying that God, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your mind, not just your heart and your emotions, begin to lead things, that even early Christians were the ones who began to put together libraries and universities. He never held an office or led an army, but his impact and his teachings changed societies as a whole, influenced them. The ancient world was splendid in some ways and really cruel in other ways. Speaking back to the malformed and the disease and the sick, and yet some of the early hospitals draw their roots from the Christian community, followers of this Jesus and this way. Humility was scorned in the ancient world and became enshrined on a cross and eventually championed as a virtue, that this is what matters. Forgiveness moved from weakness to an act of moral beauty. The compassion of Christmas arrived one day in a savior, and it continues to arrive every day to impact history as his followers live out this virtue of compassion. The compassion of Christmas is meant to ripple through every single season of history. Compassion finds its roots when we leave our story and insert ourselves into someone else's story. Some of the best conversations I've had, especially when it comes to race, I'll just be real. I'm white. No surprise. But in talking with my friends who are not, I've learned a lot. And I'm humbled. Things are different. And I need to recognize that. And compassion says, I'm going to leave my story. And I'm going to insert myself into someone else's story to understand how they see the world. How the world sees them. And what influences impact them. I'm blessed, and I'm going to use that blessing, but in talking with people who are maybe facing different struggles than I have and maybe a little more mountains to climb and just realizing I don't want the dignity gap to exist in my presence. And church, that's our call. The dignity gap does not belong in the church. That's what you see in the first century. It's what you see in the heart of the followers of Jesus who said Jesus gave compassion, not because people deserved it, but because people needed it. And listen, you need it also. That's why Christmas is for you. That's why the compassion call of Christmas came searching for you. It's what we read in Philippians as Paul writes about Jesus and, and this descent from heaven to meet the humble and not expect that we would make our way to him. Can I just read you what Philippians chapter 2 says? Let these words ring in your heart this Christmas. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Man, that's such a drive in our culture even especially around Christmas. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not, look not only to your own interest, but each of you should look to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. He goes on, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. In an unprecedented move of generosity and compassion, God left heaven and came into your story. The beauty of Christmas is not that God made a way for us to leave our narrative and weave our way into his. It's that he left his and inserted himself into ours. As man, Jesus, fully God, fully man, the incarnation matters so that we could find a new way home into relationship with God so that through him we could rewrite our stories into something better. Jesus literally moved and was motivated and was moved by compassion. It's the most described emotion of Jesus through the Gospels. You want to know what emotion drove him most? Compassion. Meaning he was moved at his very core. Is that the description of church in America? I'll let you answer that. Could it be that God would like that to be the description of his church so it matches and mirrors the description of his son? Compassion set forth and inserted. Jesus didn't show compassion because people deserved it. It's because they needed it. And raise your hand. You need it too. That's the point of Christmas that we all need it. Our culture says that ruthless competition is the key to life. But Jesus shows us that relentless compassion is the purpose of life. You want to find purpose in your life, then be a person who lives and mirrors the heart of Jesus, expressing compassion everywhere you go. Does that mean you may be taken advantage of a couple times? You might. Jesus was. Does that mean you become a doormat and people walk over you? No, we're not saying that. But I think it is saying, am I moved by compassion? Or am I a person who's moved by anger and irritation more? If you're out of balance there, then friend, that's, that's on you to deal with. And Christmas has let this move you. Christmas is our reminder that God's great compassion unto us, and Christmas invites us again to receive and pass on that compassion that we've received. We're not meant to be reservoirs of God's compassion. We're meant to be conduits of it. We don't just get all of this compassion from God. His mercies mean us new every morning, and we just hold on to it. You're blessed as a follower of Jesus. You get it, and it never runs out, but it's never meant just to stop with you. It's meant to flow through you. You're a conduit of his compassion to other people. So here's the questions to wrestle with this week. Think about this. Who in your reach needs compassion right now? 
Who in your reach needs compassion right now? Not because they deserve it, but because they need it. Who in your reach that you know that you can leverage your life to say they could use some compassion right now? Maybe a second question is this. What relationship do you already have that really needs a little more compassion? That you can kind of turn up the temperature of compassion a little bit in that relationship that you already have. This is not trying to go make new ones. Who in your reach needs it? And who can you turn it up a little bit more into that relationship? How can you leave your narrative, insert yourself into theirs, and let God's compassion be on display? We're reminded in Luke chapter two, as the angel says, hey, I don't want you to be afraid. I bring you what? Good news. It's not bad news, it's not mediocre news, it's not ho-hum news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. The compassion of heaven has come near. Good news has arrived. When we live with God's compassion flowing through us, we announce this good news everywhere we go. Do people leave your presence impacted by your compassion that they see flowing through you from our Savior, the giver of compassion? That's an honest question to wrestle with. Do people leave our presence? See, Christmas announces this reality that love is still stronger than hate. Hope is still stronger than despair. There is a God who is good and still answers prayers. His mercies are still new every morning and available to any who look to it. His light is still burning bright. His compassion is still on the move in and through his people. And we are to shine and show his compassion wherever we go in everything that we do. Here's the takeaway I wrote. Friends, as followers of Christ, we may be criticized for what we believe from time to time but we should be famous for our compassion all the time. That's the call of Christmas, to grow in our wonder, even when things aren't wonderful, to grow in our compassion capacity, that we would mirror our Savior, that into the middle of this incredibly dark and competitive time, in order to change the world, God didn't insert more competitiveness. He inserted compassion. And though it may lack popularity, it's actually incredibly powerful. And the church, you, me, we're the church, we should be known as people who live that way. You all do that really well. But we want us to continue to crank that up a little bit more and a little bit more because it's what Jesus was known for. So I, I, I think you would agree with me that it's what his church should be known for. This unrelenting gift of compassion to the people that we intersect life with. And so as we transition to a moment of taking communion, we're gonna worship a little bit, just invite you to think about, okay, who in my reach needs a little bit more compassion right now? Which relationship do I have that I need to crank that up a little bit? 
I'm not asking you to go from a three to a 10, just maybe a three to a five. Take a step in that. What would that look like as you make your way toward Christmas this year? See, in celebrating communion, what we remember is that compassion came close. Good news is here. God's compassion meets us. He left his narrative, inserted himself into our narrative, and through his life and his death and his resurrection has made a way for our narrative and our story to forever be changed. Not because we try to become more competitive, but because we've been gifted compassion and gifted a right relationship with God through faith. And so as you take that bread, as you take that juice tonight, remember that, that this was Christ and his greatest gift of compassion for you, for me. His body broken, his blood shed, that through faith in him, you can have life with God today and forevermore. Your story forever changed. That's the beauty of Christmas. And as we sing this next song, as you make your way toward Christmas this week, what does it look like to be released and sent as people of compassion into a world that desperately needs it? Listen, our world may not deserve it, <laughs> but it needs it. And that's the difference. So what would it look like this week for you to be a person who is on mission, living out that compassion? That doesn't mean you can solve everything but it does mean you can do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so you keep your eyes open and your heart attentive to how God wants to use you to put his compassion on display. So let me pray for us. We'll go into communion. If you're new here, we do communion a little bit different where you can get up and move around. Uh, we've got a couple tables in the back and a couple down front, gluten-free crackers over here to my right, your left. Um, you can take that cup back to your seat. There's an insert in the seat in front of you that you can place that there. So, Father, we pray as we remember Christmas, as we continue our journey toward it, as we look forward to celebrating Christmas Eve next week, Jesus, we're in awe of you. We're just so moved by who you are and everything that you do. We thank you that insert a plan of more competitiveness, a hierarchy with dignity gaps. You inserted yourself as the greatest gift of compassion ever. And you allowed us to experience you relationally, not in a religiosity and just a set of rules, but to know you and to be known by you. You told us to do this in remembrance of you, and so as we do in a moment, Pray that this would just be a sacred moment as we worship you in song, that you would draw our hearts to you. You show us who in our reach needs more compassion, which relationship we need to crank that up with, and how do we, as a church, individually and corporately, how do we grow our compassion capacity that we're known for that as you were, Jesus. Would you lead us in that journey to grow in that? We worship you. We love you. It's your name we pray.